Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to back to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are three diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Get involved. Awesome. So I'm joined tonight with my co-hosts. We're going to say co-hosts now. We've got Ando, <laughs> who's joining me in Sydney, and we've also got Rev, who's joining us from Brisbane. How are you both this evening, gentlemen? Top notch. Very good. Awesome. Awesome. We've had some great rugby to watch over the weekend with the British and Irish Lions finally kicking off their international series against South Africa. So that will be, I won't say a big part of tonight's episode, but we will definitely be getting to talk around that. Um, But before we get into that and what we're going to do this evening, Ando, what are our social media platforms? Hit us up on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook pick and drive rugby podcast or Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Fantastic. So this evening, what we are going to do, the the Wallabies squad was revealed today. There's been a few inclusions that are a little bit left of field, one particularly that we will get <laughs> yes. to. We won't get there yet, but we will get to it this, this evening. Uh, then we're going to talk through the British and Irish Lions. We have had some questions come in from the locker room, so we will integrate that sort of throughout the whole podcast, and we're not going to have one designated section for that this week. And then to wrap everything up, we're going to talk about some super rugby signings for 2022. How does that sound, everybody? Brilliant. Shall we go? Shall we just get into it? Do it, do it, do it. Let's go. In Quade Cooper, we trust. What a story. What a buzzword. And can you just imagine the headlines are going to be coming out all over the internet Monday morning as you're listening to this pod? It's going to be wild. And how exciting is it that we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Quade Cooper, potentially back in gold and green although realistically he's signed on as a coach so we're probably not going to see that but for those of you who are wondering what the heck i'm talking about the wallaby squad for the upcoming players cup matches has dropped and, and it champs. is pretty and the rugby championships yeah. yep has dropped and it's pretty damn exciting um there are some big names that have been added some big names that have been dropped and um let's just get before i run through the players that have been added or dropped rev what were your initial thoughts um hearing quade cooper's uh, return into the fold from his uh, toxic gate exile. I think the nice thing is that he is someone that is just unparalleled in terms of what he could do in his prime. Like at his best, he was like no other attacking threat. So while I know he can't play like that anymore, um, he doesn't have the same speed or probably never had the defense. I think now he can really pass something on to Lola Seo and um, even to O'Connor in camp, just as someone that has played all of his career at 10 and hasn't had that versatility. So I'm excited to see what he does in that sort of mentoring role. That's pretty exciting. Well, why don't we get on? And first off, we might start with the players who have missed the squad. So we have Dungunu, who's obviously broken his arm. Parisi is no longer in the squad. Is that an injury-based withdrawal? Yeah, so Parisi had um, surgery last week or the week before in Sydney. And since he's now based in New South Wales, they they can't get out due to the, the lockdown. Okay, you also have Tamani, who's headed back over to the West, and Michael Wells as well, who's no longer a part of the squad. Added into all returning from injuries. So some of these players have already been in teams for as injury cover, so Jordan Ulysses is one of them. Others are returning from injuries. So I'll just go through the whole list. But you've got Nick Frost, Duncan Payoa, Tom Robertson, Pete Samu, Jordan Pattaya, Quade Cooper, Nick White, Isaac Rodder, Scott Seo, and like I said, Jordan Ulysses. So Isaac Rodder is probably, outside of Quade Cooper, the biggest inclusion there. Um, I think a few of us were a bit surprised to not see him in the Bay of Plenty match for the Western Force, but maybe he was already over in Queensland. Yeah, um, now that we up with the squad. Now that it's been announced that he's in the Wallaby squad, I do wonder if it came down to sort of border restrictions and bubble that he might have been in quarantine at the time and so he couldn't go and black and play for the Force last week. Um, so interesting. That probably answers a few questions. 
<laughs> yeah, especially why uh, Western Force was so quiet about it on their socials. Yeah. They literally, despite being directly asked by multiple fans, just didn't reply to just anything about anything, it. So. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty pretty surprising. Um, Pete Simon's back into the squad, probably direct replacement for Wells. Rodder replacing Tamani. And the, the pretty interesting one here is Duncan Payawa. So he's actually just on a mid end of season break from playing with Toulon in Pro 14 and is back home with family and friends in Brisbane and Gold Coast and now is um, called up for the Wallaby squad. Uh, Rev, as a resident Queenslander, thoughts? Uh, I don't hate it just given we can't access all the players we'd like from New South Wales and um, and even from Victoria. So I think because he's versatile, it's really like that um, Reese Hodge mould as well. And Rennie's even said that it's like having a similar player because He's 26 as well. He does have time in the saddle. He's played for the Wallabies against the Barbarians. So I think bringing in someone that's got, you know, all those uh, games of experience for the Reds, you know, he's played 20 or so games for Toulon as well. Um, I, I quite like that we've got someone of that calibre, I guess, on such short notice. Clearly, it's not ideal preparation. But, I mean, if, if this is enough to sort of reignite that uh, flame in him and maybe sign for a super side, I think it's a massive benefit. Now, Mitch, if you just happen to be a Waratahs fan and you're looking at this list and going, how the hell are Quade Cooper and Duncan Payawa getting called up ahead of Will Harrison? What do you have to say to those fans? Well, the reason that uh, Will Harrison isn't in the squad is because he's locked in New South Wales at the moment and they can't join the squad due to COVID. So I do think if New South Wales wasn't in the situation that it is with COVID, uh, Will Harrison would be called up into the squad with the injuries to James O'Connor and, and the fact that now they have brought in Payawa. Uh, I, it's an interesting one. It's a real loophole that he's included because he doesn't. He's as Rev said, he's got what one technically one cap or an asterisk next to his name because it's. Yeah, I don't even know if it's caps. considered a. Yeah, it's, they're not considered an international against the Barbarians, mm. so he falls under that rule that Rennie brought in when he first came in that they could br- they could bring in one player, uh, internationally based that hasn't played for the Wallabies or hasn't had sixty caps, doesn't qualify for the Gitto Law, so. Interesting that he falls into that. My other question is, how does Quade Cooper get called up to the Wallabies if he's not, like, to be able to play? Because I don't think he's got 60 caps either. He's got 70. He's got 70. Oh, he does. Okay. Well, there we go. So that's how. But I I do think that Quade Cooper has been brought in as a coach, and we were talking about it before the pod started off air. We would have to go through some massive, massive disaster for Quade Cooper to be putting the boots on and playing for Australia this year. We would have to go through four first choice fly halves to then have to choose Quade Cooper. So realistically, I don't see him being a shot at playing. I think he is there to, as a, a mentor to the players to show a little bit of leadership, um, maybe bring in, uh, I would say, I was going to say maybe bring in like um, passion for the jersey but after the French series we've seen these players and this squad does have passion for the jersey so it's probably not so much that but maybe bringing in a little bit of flair to Alessio's game and and just a little bit of leadership there. Yeah I think what it could even help do Alessio do is play a little bit flatter at the line. Um, It's something that obviously Quaid was renowned for his ability to fire that bullet pass across the face of the defense into kind of the multiple attacking players and you saw that really well with Michael Hooper's break in the third test against France Um, how that pass just beautifully cut across some good inside runners drawing the French defense I think Wokey it was um, Wokey that left the hole for Hooper to run through I just want to see more of that um, willingness to not only take on the line which I think he's willing to do enough but just to get in the face of it and then fire off the ball to the players running into space uh, sometimes i think he can sit a bit deep and that's one of quade's strengths so if he can pass any of that on um that'd be brilliant now one player who i didn't mention who is out as well um cameron Orr as well he was brought into the squad as injury cover i believe um and now is no longer with the wallabies so i thought i'd just mention that as well um okay cool so with that i mean considering the fact that we're probably going to, actually what news was there that came out about the test matches and the locations where they're going to be played um i have lost that information right now <laughs> if anybody so I, has don't, it available. I don't know if it's actually officially been announced but there's been some uh, whispers from Dave Rennie in press conferences and things and what he expects to happen. I think at the moment with the current lockdown in New South Wales and the national uh, situation that we find ourselves in with COVID and the cases that are rising so quickly everywhere, 
New Zealand have announced uh, last week that they've they've paused the international bubble between Australia week. and New Zealand yeah, for eight weeks. Eight week. So that really <laughs> threw some doubt into what's going to happen with um, the Bledisloe Cup and then the rugby champs afterwards. But what Rennie is suggesting is that we'll play two tests against the All Blacks, uh, still starting on the 7th of August, I believe, and we'll play two tests in New Zealand, Wellington and Auckland, I believe, are the two that's sort of been put up, and then we'll fly across and play the third test in, in Perth. But at this chance, at this stage, they haven't even announced what's happening with the rugby championship, and I have real doubts whether Argentina or South Africa, South Africa particularly, may not be able to come down and play with the COVID situation that's in Australia, but also in South Africa. And we kind of saw that with the Olympics last week that some of the South African sevens team flew into uh, Tokyo or Japan via other places, but there was someone on their flight that had COVID. And so they had to isolate and there was real doubts whether they were even going to be able to compete in the sevens that was starting tomorrow. So um, I have doubts whether South Africa are even going to be able to come out for the rugby championships. Also, we saw that COVID was getting in and out of their camp hall in the lead up to the Lions series. Um, but at this stage, that's what we know. Okay. Rev, anything you want to throw in there, mate? Um, not specifically around the tests. I, I guess it's just, I think it makes sense what they want to do. They want to keep the 7th of August in um, Auckland and the 21st of August in Perth. And so the only one that I really have to move is the 28th of August was supposed to be Wellington. I think it makes sense just to move that to the 14th, um, get your New Zealand games done. Rennie's really adamant that we're not having three games in New Zealand. And I think if we're any chance of getting the blood as low, we need to make sure there's at least one game in Oz. Um, but, I mean, they've had to change so much on the fly. They've had to think so um, quickly and responsibly to these situations. So I wouldn't expect anything to be set in stone until match day pretty much. Yep. Yeah, and that's the reality. I wouldn't even be surprised to see a hub set up either in New Zealand or maybe even in Perth for the rugby championship itself. Perth potentially for South African players. Um, I just want South to throw Africa it out there across. as well. If the Bledisloe Cup can't go ahead and it does get cancelled, I vote, and I think most Australians will agree with me, that this year's Bledisloe should be awarded to the team that won the last test that was played. So yep. by default, we yep. would win the Bledisloe Cup in 2021. Agreed. Heard yeah. it here first. Easy. That's what Santa are going to agree to. Yeah. Fantastic. Sure. That makes, makes complete sense, right? <laughs> complete sense. Um, okay. So now just having a look at the squad, who are you most excited to actually see in a team? And let's make the assumption that Quay Cooper won't be in the starting 23. <laughs> who are you uh, let's go. Mitch, Mitch, you first, mate. Uh, as an inclusion? Uh, just like a new somebody, player so, new player, somebody that you want to see continuing on. Like, obviously, we, we want to see, hopefully, we'll see you continue his positive progress after three matches continuously. This being the fourth, um, is there somebody that a like that you want to see continue to develop, or b that you're looking to get a bit of game time starting or in the twenty-three? Yeah, I really liked Andrew Kellaway since he's been back in Australia, and I think he played well for the Rebels when he came back, and he played well when he came on for the Wallabies for his debut and the follow-up in test two. So I was a little surprised to see him drop for the third test, but I would love to see him get more game time because I think he he really came on with a, an intent and that he wanted to prove his worth as a Wallabies player. And I just really like his gameplay and I like his style. So I would love to see him get more time in the gold jersey. Fantastic. Rev? Uh, there's so many players. I mean, I'm really keen to see the locks. I think um, having yep. Rodder back in there is really exciting. So I'm keen mm -hmm. to see how they fit Rodder, Phillips, Swain, and Selico Loto. Um, you know, trim that down to three for the 23 squad. Um, but particularly the back line, I want to see Paisami and Ikitao as that centre pairing. And I'd love that Pattaya is back. I think chuck him on the right wing. Um, fullback. Or at fullback. I mean, no one's, I guess, absolutely sold on Banks. Um, but I, I just think Pattaya is just such a strike weapon. It's such a threat. Um, plus, <laughs> very sadly, he's one of the more experienced backs. So um, that <laughs> yeah. says a lot. So I, I'm just excited to see what's really quite a young back line just um, come together and gel because I love that, uh, what they did in the French series. And I think it actually looks a little bit stronger now. I will ask yeah. a question to both of you around this squad. Do we think James O'Connor will be back for the rugby champs this year? I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. Like there haven't been particularly... Um... Uh, open and informative around what his continuing absences have been. From the sounds of it, it's low-level niggles of different parts of the body that just been well, keeping they him keep out. They've been saying that he keeps re-injuring his groin area. And that's been an ongoing issue. He had that problem at Sale, I yeah. believe. Um, 
So I don't know what the deal is there. Do you, do we think we're going to see him back? I personally don't. I think that he is starting to re-injure those same things over and over again. And he is one of the older players in the squad at the moment. Uh, he's 31, I believe. Hey, that's not is old, that mate. Right? Careful. Careful older, what you're saying. I said older. I didn't say old. <laughs> older players. Is he 31, Rev? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So he's 31. Um, and the fact is he came into the, this series injured. He got injured in Trans-Tasman and didn't play the rest of the second half of that season. And he's having those injuries in training. So it's starting to really throw doubts up whether we are actually going to see him play for the Wallabies this year and potentially even make it through to the 2023 World Cup. Uh, good thing for Noel Alessio to get that game time and, and really cement that position because it really does go to show now that we can't rely on James O'Connor being there and getting us out of that tight spot. Yeah, I'm pretty keen to see um, Jordi Pattaya return as well. Personally, I'd like to see it from the bench. Um, he's just been a player in my mind that has struggled with the burden of the hype that surrounds him. Um, he's also had the difficult family circumstances over the last 18 months that have really played, seemed, seemed to have played upon him. And he's also had injury concerns as well. So I'd rather him kind of be eased back into the fold. So I reckon a Pattaya um, almost playing that kind of like utility back um, from the bench as well, able to fill in any of the outside center or wing or fullback role now. Well, I did hear, um, and Rev, you'll have to confirm this for me, but there were some whispers that he was actually playing club rugby in Queensland in the last few weeks at fullback. Is that correct? He was named to. I, I didn't actually get a chance to um, start that last game, I think, because of a rush into the yeah, um, yeah. Wallabies yeah. squad. Right. I do think he got a few minutes uh, the week before, but um, I, I didn't get to see any of that play, and I'd think it would have been talked about a bit more in a bit of a highlights reel. So I, I think he might have actually missed out. It might have just been a bit of, um, you know, press to try and get things sorted. But there yep. seems to be a bit of motion about him, you know, reverting to the fullback role, which, I mean, I, I'd be happy to see it, but you don't test that stuff against the All Blacks. No, so, no. that's right. No, yeah. and that's why for me, I actually like want to see that consistency that has kind of been a bit of a hallmark of Rennie's team so far this year. Just that idea if he has a good understanding of his kind of his top 25 to 30 players and he's going to be picking from that group. Um, I'd like to see Banks starting again at fullback and not because I think he's definitely the best option, but I just don't think against the All Blacks, we should be starting somebody new. So it's either Banks or Hodge, yep. really. Um, yeah, as a, anyway, I think we're probably going into a bit more detail and we can get into specifics of the starting teams um, or who we think that might be in maybe next week's pod. Um, can I throw but, one question back out there yeah, for our yeah, Western I was Force ask, fans? Yeah, let's go. So out of those three players that are now included in the in the Wallaby squad from the Western Force, so we've got Isaac Rodder, uh, Tom Robinson and Feliti Kaituhu, which of those players would you in, do you think should be included in the 23? Okay, okay. Rev, you first. What's the Western Force? Hey, rough. Is there something on the west coast of Australia? There's something on the other side of that great desert. <laughs> Guys, they're hosting, oh. a, they're hosting a Bledisloe there. Come on. Oh, gee. Okay, well, now I feel bad. That um, was a Queenslander saying that. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're yeah. the Western Force basher here, Ando, aren't you? Supposedly. I don't understand how I've gained that mantle. Like, I actually like them, but I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm a fan. I think um, if anyone's going to start Rodder, I mean, he's the one yep. that's got the caps already. It makes sense. But I mean, Kai too was pretty exciting leading into the um, French series. It was only the injury that probably stopped him from being on the bench. So, yeah. do we do we dare dream and say there's a 23 with all three force members in it? Is that possible? It's entirely possible, yeah. Because um, Tom Robinson had a good season, mm. and Kai too, like you said, was really only not on the bench because of his injury. Um, you would have, I would have thought he should be starting ahead of Lucky Lonigan. Uh, just because of Lonergan's age at this point, although they're probably both equally bad line-out throwers. So, yeah, it could actually happen. You could go um, from having, what, no force players at all in a 23 to now having all three. But who do you drop it's, it's for Robinson? Yeah, that's a good he's question. He's the hard one. And yeah, I, he's, I he's think those, all four yeah. of our props in the French series were phenomenal. You know what? I'd like to see Robertson get game time against Argentina because he's spent that whole series um, scrummaging against Medrano yeah. um, at training. So he knows the ins and outs of how he's going to play. I, I, I might know some it, of Kubeli's calls as well. Yeah, that, uh, that would be the one chance I think that he's got to um, impress. But otherwise, who doesn't love Angus Bell? Like he's, yeah. Yeah. he's, I mean, it's hard to compare to Tupo, but he's just a crowd favourite. Everyone seems to love him. So. Um, it'll be hard for him to get game time. Surely the most valuable player in Australian rugby at the moment, right? 
who yeah. Angus Bell. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, we've had some big calls the last few weeks. We've said Hooper's the best player ever. I, I might have said that. And Bell, the most important player in Australian rugby. Most valuable player. Most valuable, valuable player. If, if you look at his potential growth curve, then yeah, it's it's definitely up there. Because like Taniel Tupo is what, a couple of years older than Bell? Yep. One or no, two years older? About five years older. Bell's so young. Oh, wow. Bell's 20. Yeah, because yeah, Bell's only... 20 no, I thought Bell was 20. Yeah. Angus Bell's 20, I reckon. I'm going to look yeah. it up right now. Um, but it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, he's 20. His birthday's in October. Oh, my God. He was born in the year 2000. That makes me feel <laughs> so old. Um, <laughs> anyway, the fact that he is a regular within a 23 now mm. for the Wallabies at the age of 20 at prop is insane. And he's holding his own. He's not getting monstered every single scrum, which is just crazy. Anyway, I think we need to move on. Otherwise we're going to chat the Wallabies the entire time. And there was something pretty awesome as well happening this weekend, but any, any final comments we want to make about this Wallabies squad at this point in time? Um, I think it's important that he's named so many players that didn't get game time against France. You know, we saw about 12 to 15 players get named for that series and not even step foot on the um, turf. So I think it's a good show of faith to the majority of those guys outside of Tamani and uh, Wells that he wants to see them again and hopefully get some minutes into them. Mm. Yep. Yeah, because it's going to be a long series ahead. Assuming it goes ahead and let's all cross fingers and hope that it does. Okay. Yeah. Let's Let's go. go. Let's move into British and Irish Lions versus the Springboks. Let's go. For everyone that braved the early morning start, we had the Springboks versus the Lions, the first test after our unofficial Springboks A versus the Lions. It was great to see these two teams in action. Uh, The Lions ended up getting up 22 to 17 in what was really, uh, I hate to use a cliche, but a game of two halves. (laughs) We saw a range of players get used, a range of ideas that were sort of discussed before the match uh, sort of come to fruition and some that were dismissed uh, based on how the two teams played. So to get some overall, um, I guess, feedback on the game, let's have a dive into how these two teams played and how this score actually came about because this was the most looked after game of the year. So, Ando, I'll throw to you first. What were your big takeaways from this game? Um, it was a titanic arm wrestle. The game was incredibly physical and there's a huge part of me that absolutely loved the physicality of it. But in so many ways, it was kind of like a Northern Hemisphere territory based game. Neither team was willing to hold the ball for multi-phase and try and break through the defensive line. They would play basically one or two phases after collecting the ball. And then if they weren't making any immediate headway, they'd go for a box kick and try to apply immense amounts of pressure onto the kick, onto the kick receiver, and then either force the error, get the ball back themselves or try and get a turnover immediately. And then the receiving team would just do the exact same thing. And so the first half was really, really tight and really, really tense, but um, the British and Irish Lions just put more pressure, sorry, South Africa put more pressure on the Lions in that first half and then Pollard's kicking boots were on in that first half. It was awesome. And so they got out to a 12-3 lead and then it just shifted. But yeah, really it was physical, dominant, neither team wanting to play with the ball until it all kind of shifted over in the second half and the Lions actually came out and started playing with more aggression and kept the ball for longer periods of time and then forced South Africa to make the errors instead. And Mitch, because this game, I guess it was you know talked about so much because South Africa hadn't played really as a team for so long, um, other than a bit of a scratch match against Georgia. And the Lions, they're the best players in Europe um, outside of France, but they're not um, playing week in, week out. How did you think the Ross sort of fell off in this game? Did you think it was about as expected or were you hoping to see a bit more from either side? Yeah, I was surprised in the first half that the Lions looked to be the team that weren't being cohesive and weren't really playing together as a pack. Uh, the Springboks really came out in that first half and were really asking some questions of the Lions. So uh, I was expecting things to be a little bit different in that second half and the Lions made some key tactical changes. So they um, And the, the Springboks changed their prop and hooker at halftime as well. And so that changed things in the scrum. They lost that dominance that they had in the first half. But in the second half, it just sort of seemed like the Lions realized what the Springboks were doing in that first 40 minutes and and changed their approach to really target certain areas. Like Ando was saying before, targeting a set piece, keeping the ball in tight. They scored all their tries off malls or uh, pick and drives. Their try, I should say. That wasn't multiple tries. It was a try each. Um, but yeah, it... it 
in the first half, I was surprised that the Lions looked like they weren't as prepared as the Springboks had should Springboks looked, considering the lead up that the Lions had played the um, Super Rugby sides leading into it, and the Springboks had only played one game, if you include the South Africa A game against um, uh, leading into this series. So. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that, and I thought that the Springboks were probably going to hang in there a little bit longer than they did in this game. I think that ties in with um, Gatlin's approach was to obviously not reveal any of his um, you know, tricks or players. He wanted to make sure that his cards were close to his chest and that the Springboks had no idea what they were going to be coming up against. Uh, but the other side to that is his own team didn't really know who they were going to play with. Like We saw that there weren't many combinations that we'd already seen throughout the tour, so it made it quite hard. Um but just in relation to the tries, we, we did say it was only one try piece, but there were three tries um, that were called on-fielders tries and then, you know, through replays and the TMO intervention uh, deemed otherwise. So the refereeing did leave a little bit to be desired at parts. And there's even talk about that sort of yellow card incident that wasn't given as yellow card. Yep. So, Ando, what stood out to you? And did Barry actually have that bad a game? I didn't think he did. Um, I didn't think he had a particularly bad game at all. And that's genuinely not the Aussie in me. I kind of don't care for, or like, I, I don't know, Barry's a ref, whatever. Cool. Great. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking for him to do a good job here. Um, sorry. Like you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I have no allegiance here. And so I actually, in the first kind of 20 minutes of the game was really kind of feeling sympathetic towards Nick Barry because the intensity and the line speed of both teams was incredible. And the way in which they were competing at the rucks meant that it was just a dogfight every single tackle. And he was having to make split second calls and some of the best players in the world who were pushing the limits in so many different ways. And there was a couple of times where I disagreed with his call. So like one of them, when Mara Watoja gets a turnover, mm. um, his hands, his arms are on the ground and he's not fully supporting his body. And weight. Faf was on, picking the ball up as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's leaning on top of the player on the ground. He's not supporting his body weight, but he's, he's making a clear play at the ball. So it's like, it, it, it's hard. He's painting a good picture mm. whilst getting away with it. And so there are moments like that where I can disagree with his call, but I can understand why he's given it as well. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that those kind of moments evened out. And then when you get to the TMO interventions, well, they weren't interventions as such. It's Nick Berry throwing it up to, um, was it Marius? Mara, Marius Yonka. Yonka. Yep. And um, I didn't really disagree with many of the called the TMO decisions that were made. Um, I thought that Willie LaRue was onside when he got called offside off the kick and then the run through. I actually thought he was onside, but the angle of the um, camera made it look as though he was maybe half a step ahead. But at the same time, I actually thought Peter Steftatoit actually uh, knocked it on yeah. as well in the subsequent one. So I was like, oh, well, evens out. Um, so yeah. All that goes to say, I don't think the refereeing was too bad. And the saltiness you're seeing from the Saffirs is just typical losing team saltiness. We were like that a couple of weeks back, so it's fine. Well, that's the thing. It felt very uh, real. And I had kind of like um, Vietnam-style flashbacks to <laughs> the French series, just seeing the ball thrown to the ground and teams not being able to pick it up, like all this stuff that I think these are those glitches of the Matrix that they should be really easy to sort of stop. And we saw the teams struggle with it. Uh, on the notion of the game of two halves, we did sort of talk about the 12-3 lead for the box and then uh, the Lions won the second half 19-5. to One of the tactics I think was incredibly bold was that the Springboks changed their front row at halftime, did a complete swap. None of them injured, none of them looking out of form. The front row to start actually looked quite strong. And I think this whole idea of the, the bomb squad was so romanticised throughout the World Cup that they thought, oh, we'll just do it anyway. It's premeditated. Let's just chuck out, um, you know, what was realistically probably their best scrum and they had no impact. Um, so that box team really didn't get the impact they wanted. Uh, so, Mitch, was this, do you think, more so just about, you know, that lack of game time that played together? Or was this selection issues? Was perhaps the smart idea to, you know, pick a different bench or put some of those, um, you know, Kitschoff and Mel Herbert to start? Yeah, I think with this game in particular, it, it almost felt like a final in that both teams were very nervous to start with, and yet they both were trying to do things to not lose the game. It was more of a game of two teams trying to not lose than two teams trying to out-and-out win it. Uh, and for me, I thought the Lions came away 
they came out of this game with more of an idea of what they need to do in this series to be competitive against the Springboks. But I think the Springboks came out of this game still with questions around what their best 23 is and particularly their best 15. And as you, you mentioned before, they changed their front row and it completely shifted the momentum back in the Lions' favor in that second half, which then ended up shifting the game in the Lions' favor and they ended up losing it. And I do think that comes down to the stop-start nature of the Springboks' uh, lead-up and development of, of this series, that they weren't able to get a good series against Georgia. They weren't able to play any rugby for, what was it, 20 months or something leading up to this series. So if they had had a little bit more game time together, they probably would have exp- had a better understanding of combinations, who the best players were, and also um, the best sort of players to put on the bench that were going to actually have an impact. One of the other things that I think... Look, I don't really know if the Lions particularly did anything to stop this or the Springboks just weren't effective, but um, Faf de Klerk, uh, not Faf de Klerk, sorry. Um, I've had a mind blank little... Allie Price? A little um, headgear. Little, Cheslin Colby. Cheslin Colby. Cheslin Colby didn't get a whole lot of ball in this game. And there was one or two times where they were running down the, the his wing um, and he's running up in defense and the, the Springbok player would either go to ground or or they try and kick it away and it ended up, didn't end up utilizing his ability as well he didn't get a lot of game a lot of ball in space which well, a i big think part was- of that was the um british and irish lions deliberate kicking strategy where they were trying to put up um uh vandermover yep. up against colby because colby's tiny as yeah. we all know and vandermover's a big unit he's like six four or something like that as a winger he's he's a solid bulking winger and like even the very one of the very first plays that the British and Irish Lions did was the midfield bomb from Bigger directly to Colby at fifteen, putting up Vandermover against him. And so in that one of the first plays, they're just saying a statement of intent of they're going to kick it at him, they're going to pressure him, and even if he gets the ball, it means we're about to tackle him and he can't get a head full of steam up. Um, so it was a really really effective tactic at nullifying one of the most dangerous wingers on the planet. And also when he did get the ball, they had their bigger players there. So I remember seeing two or three times that he got tackled by Alwyn Jones and uh, Maro Itoje. So that was clearly a, a, a theme for them moving into this game is as soon as Colby gets the ball, our bigger blokes smash him. Well, that's the only game in the last two years he's played without beating a defender. So he's someone that if you can control, obviously it does wonders for your team, but that's a hard feat to repeat, and I'm not sure if they'll be able to do that again next week. I think the box will be doing everything they can to get it into his hands. Uh, but I, th- I think we've brought up a lot of the main points, is that the box, as we saw through 2019, they were the best kicking team. They had one of the best scrums, so they got a lot of scrum penalties, and they capitalised on other teams making mistakes. And what we saw in this match was the Lions actually kicked far better than them. Elliot Price was kicking them perfectly deep. Faf was a little bit short. Uh, the scrum... The Lions gained parity, so there was no scrum penalties for the box to kick from. And the Lions were so scrappy in that first half, they gave away probably, I think, six penalties out of eight across the whole match in that first half. Yep. Five of them were really needless. They were really just, you know, like Curry tackling uh, Faf late, um, being offside and really, you know, inopportune time. Yep. So Elliot Daly ripping it out after the ref had said Yeah, tackle. And, and, yep. and just things like that that are very easy to stop. And so they stopped that at halftime. South Africa couldn't get any ball. They're a team that really plays best without the ball. They capitalize on just turning the ball over, um, kicking away um, you know, three points every time you make a mistake. But the Lions just stopped making mistakes, and they were like, oh, we've got no alternative now. So that's going to be a massive, I, I think, hurdle for them to climb. And I guess it leads to our next point. Um, what can each team do to try and improve to, and try and, you know, for the Lions seal the series? And for the box, keep it alive. What what changes would we be making both in terms of strategy and personnel? So, Andrew, I'll throw to you first for that. Um, I think in terms of strategy, and I might leave you guys to speak about the personnel because you probably got a bit more knowledge about it than I do, at least. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I was saying you guys, so Rev can say that one yeah. as well. Um, but for me, I thought that the kickoff receipts were an incredibly key part of the game. Um, I know that the first try in the second half, so the British and Irish Lions try, came from a really poor kickoff receipt where Quagga Smith and Willie LaRue, Willie LaRue didn't communicate properly and it bounced in between them. Willie LaRue has to go up high to get it, then get smashed, turnover, and then they kick, the Lions kick to the corner and get the more try from there. And it was just really simple, poor communication. 
and off the kickoff receipt. And it happened a couple of other times, um, bad kickoff receipts or inability to um, sort out the high balls led to a loss of possession and territory for the spring box. And then that just put them under increasing pressure. And then they started giving away offside penalties. And then the scoreboard just kept ticking over and the lines came back. Um, the penalty count at the end of the first half was 6-7 in favour of the spring box. But then within the, what was it? By the 62nd minute, it was six straight um, penalties against the spring box. So it just showed how much pressure they were on in the first 20 minutes of that second half. And a large part of that was from the way, from, from unforced errors that the spring box were making that the Lions are able to capitalize on. So in my mind, kickoff receipts, high ball practice, all day long. Um, but I also think that maybe the Lions might expect them to be doing that and might play with a little bit more width in game two and try to work them around the park more that they've put this particular game plan in for game one. It kind of makes me think of Eddie Jones uh, for the Lions, uh, for England coach against the Wall- Wallabies a couple of years back where he just did something new every game and out thought checker at every step. I just wonder yeah. if we're going to see that this time around. It's good pressure too because I think Gatlin has been talked up as the best coach in the world, and I think you know beating the world champions on home turf that's going to be super massive. rugby though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everywhere outside of Hamilton, he is amazing. Can't um, win a game. Yeah, oh god, it's really interesting to see him come back and try and fill the shoes of McMillan. But um, in, in, in terms of the personnel, this is a really good squad. Like this is so much of the uh, 2019 World Cup squad. I yeah. think pretty simply. Stephen Kitschthoff is the best loose head prop in the world. I, and I don't think it's close. I think he is just unparalleled when it comes to, oh, sorry, uh, other than Angus Bell, off the record. <laughs> yeah, thank you, um, clearly. Thank you. Thank uh, you. But, you know, Kitschthoff is a freak. He has to start. And I love Oxenshay. He's a great player, but I think Kitschthoff to start is a must. Mal Herber's their best scrummager. He's a great tight head. He's like 135 kilos. He's huge. So I'd be starting him as well. They've got the best locks. No need to change, but... We saw um, Quagga Smith was really the one that I think came yeah. with the most errors. He yeah. he was pressured because he's the smallest guy on the field. So every kickoff went to him. They charged him down. Like he, they forced probably three knock-ons from him, um, a lot of missed tackles and just getting driven back. So for me, I'd be putting uh, Jasper Visa in at uh, number eight. He's a much bigger body and has had a great season with Leicester and before that, the Cheetahs. And Quagga Smith really suits that bench role. Um, I'd be putting either him or Marco Van Staden um, in place of Reinhardt Elsa, just because they're both fetches. Uh, they can play across the back row, but they're going to steal your ball late in the game. I think that makes more sense than having a big body who's not really, um, you know, super informed. He's probably more of a line-out option and a good replacement for Detroit if anything were to happen, but, you know, he's an 80-minute player. And then for the back line, I think that's their best back line. they just got to get it yep. to the wingers more. Yep. My question mark before the match, and it sort of didn't really get addressed in the game, luckily. But um, naming Elton Yankees and Damian Valemsa on the bench was interesting because they both covered 10, and Valemsa is a really good 12 and 15. But if anything happens to the outside center or wings, they don't really have that many versatile players. So my ideal situation, I think, would be um, drop Elton and put in someone like Jesse Creel who can cover all the positions. And it's just, I mean, if anyone's seen him topless, <laughs> that's worth that's worth having in the 23 just for the, um, even <laughs> just the firepower oh i mean in terms of uh body fat percentage he's he's doing wonders so i um yeah i think he's probably someone that deserves a crack and it's probably just a bit more he's like a younger francois stain he can cover a lot of positions but you know has a bit more speed about him so uh, some slight changes nothing too drastic i, I think and nailed with all the things they need to change just in terms of strategy I think um, that ties in super well to a, a comment that has come in from Big Will on Twitter. Quagga Smith was almost a passenger in this game. Should number eight be that stereotypical big body runner like Harry, he'll catch Wilson. Quagga mm-hmm. got smashed, knocked the ball on. It was like he was a kid playing five grades above what he should, way too small for an eight. Yeah, and th- that's tough because Quagga Smith is a great player. Anyone that's watched him play for the Lions, anyone that watched him play against the All Blacks, um, like he, he is a fantastic player. So there's definitely no slight on him. Is his best position number eight? Definitely not. Is, so. um, is he able to fill the same role as Dwayne Vermeulen? Absolutely Ooh. not. Um, but yeah, he's he's not someone that I would ever classify as a bad player. I just think 
his role wasn't, you know, really being fulfilled and the Lions capitalized on it. So um, replace him with Visa and then 15 minutes into the match, chuck him on. He's going to be an energizer bunny. Um, they're not going to know exactly who he's coming on for. They can't plan around that. So um, I think that's just a much better way to utilize someone like him. Yeah, I think this game really goes to show that he's a flanker and not a number eight. Yeah. And I, I would imagine it would be fairly similar. We would see a similar result if we shifted Hooper to number eight and expected him to have the same yeah. physicality and ball presence like Harry Wilson or Pete Samu or Nicerani even playing back there. He's a smaller body. He's probably more of an on-ball player. And when he's expected to be that big on-ball presence like a number eight, it didn't quite shift well. Next question. Are we going to the next question now? Yeah, let's go uh, Glenn Phillips. So what do we think of no crowds or canned chanting? <laughs> Just not quite the whole package, in my opinion. Better than no lines to it. That will only be known if no one dies of COVID. See, I am... Um, the it's a really hard debate, isn't it? I mean, it. we've had one test now, and there was a lot of commentary beforehand of should the games be played in... Oh, I'm glad it's not being played in Australia right now, considering we've got this outbreak that's happening. Um, but should it be played in the UK instead of in South Africa? Should it be played somewhere else where they can have crowds? Maybe. But just I personally think that the part of the reason why South Africa didn't play, um, in a, particularly in the second half with a level of intensity that we may have hoped for, is because they didn't have the crowd cheering them on. And there is a huge element to sport where home ground advantage has a real tangible effect on the way the home team plays yep. and take that out of the equation. And it definitely skews things in favor of the visiting team. Yeah, I really think if we had played this game with a full full crowd of South African fans there, we probably would have seen a different result. And purely just from the refereeing decisions. So uh, Nick Berry very much was happy to send a lot of decisions up to the team O and get them checked, which is fine. And it's good that he got the right outcome. But I imagine that there would be a few more things that would have been picked up off the ball and and those sort of uh, more niggly kind of uh, off the ball plays and, and players getting knocked over. The Hamish sort of Watson stuff. tip tackle. Yeah, exactly. Because you would have had the crowd just going absolutely nuts and that changes things. And it yep. when there's no... Well, when the crowd isn't there and there's no there's no one's chanting and really adding that atmosphere, it just slowed things down when they were going to the TMO and both teams kind of just stopped and waited and all atmosphere was off and it was kind of like a warm-up really in some ways. So I would imagine that had the crowd been there, they would have probably sped things up a little bit more, but they probably would have been swayed to make decisions differently as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I noticed with about 10 minutes to go, the crowd noise started going, ole, ole, ole. Yeah, the ole. fake chanting. And I was like, what the hell? No South African crowd is going to be singing. <laughs> like, it just didn't seem contextually appropriate. It didn't seem Well, I think like, they were realistic. trying to, they were trying to create that atmosphere of a Lions test where you do have the traveling fans as well. So yeah, they, yeah. they do sing all of the songs that Lions fans and even the different home unions the fans sing. So like Swing Low and all the other ones, I can't think of the names swing off the top low, of my head. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think they were trying to sort of create that atmosphere as well. I don't know if that was put on for the broadcast or if it was actually played in the stadium. So I don't even know if it had any effect because uh, if the players can't hear it, then it's definitely not going to pick one team up over the other. Yeah. Yeah. Rev, any thoughts on that one before we move on? Um, I just want to jump in the best British and Irish Lions uh, chants, definitely the Welsh uh, Delilah by Tom Jones. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, that's worth a sing-along. Um, I have to admit, even at the Australia vs Wales match I went to, I started singing along to that. It's very catchy. So the the, uh, the Lions fans know how to get a chant going. It is a shame <laughs> that we don't have any there, but I, I think um, you know, they obviously made do without. And I'm keen to see game two. I think it's shaped up really nicely. I think both teams know what they need to do and we've got two of the best coaches with the string box. So if anyone's going to be able to try and mastermind uh, how to come back from that, I think Rassi and uh, Jacques Nino. I will say right. one thing around that actually, on the on the point of Rassi, how is he allowed to be a water boy? That just goes completely against the grain for me. Well, if he's not head coach, he's allowed to, like, because we have our assistant coaches as water boys. Scott Wisemantle's always out there doing the Yeah, you can have assistants, but it's essentially having Scott Johnson. He's the director of rugby for South Africa. So you'd be having Scott Johnson running the water out and saying like to players, you know, if you score this next try, I'm going to give you a 5K bonus or whatever. Yeah, your yeah. But exactly. have you seen Scott Johnson? He, he's not as fit as Wise Mantle. I think he's, he's a bit um, older. Yeah, a bit older. <laughs> have you seen Erasmus? He was, he was struggling to get the water <laughs> out there as well. Yeah, no, he's, um, he's not been... the fittest water boy I've seen. Hard but... on him. 
That yeah. was a point of frustration, actually, how many times the water was coming out. And Nick Berry was like, nah, water, get off. Yeah. Get off the field. Well, that was, that was great. Yeah. I think that flew, that flowed yeah. on from Super Rugby AU this year where the directive for mm. the referees was let's play the game. And so many times Nick Berry was like, boys, water off. Let's keep going. We're playing now. We're playing now. We're playing now. I, I thought it was great to see, actually, that he kept the game moving. He was pretty good with that, with um, kind of the scrum halves doing the box kicks from the bottom of the ruck. As soon yeah. as the ball's available, he's like, guys, ball's there. Use it. Use it. And like, sure, okay, they might go for six or seven seconds or something like that. But the ball's coming out um, somewhat quickly, which I thought was really positive. Well, he, yeah, he made it. No, I was actually really impressed with his just communication around the whole approach to the game to both teams. I felt in his uh, approach to refereeing this game is that he actually allowed the players or he knew he was communicating in a way that he was allowing the players to correct what they were doing wrong without just penalizing it. So a number mm. of times he was actually communicating to the players on the ground, like seven roll, seven roll, or hands then off, he would actually off. start saying to the Springboks player safe, um, let him let him out now, you're lying on him, let him out. And then it ultimately just let the ball keep flowing. It wasn't just yep. like that play is in the way and he blows his whistle for a penalty. I thought the way that he approached the communication around all things as well, and the ball was sitting at the back of the, the scrum a lot of the time with at Faf's feet, and he said, okay, use it now, nine, because it's just sitting there. You're waiting for a penalty. Uh, sometimes he'd call a penalty advantage, but other times he just got the kept the ball moving, and I thought it was a really free-flowing game because of that. Right. I'm keen for us to be moving on to possibly the most important conversation of the night, <laughs> which is uh, Waratah's signings for 2022 Super season. Super rugby is... signings, Ando. We're oh, not Super just rugby. talking oh, about... <laughs> Right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, we did change that heading, didn't we? Yeah, Super we did. rugby signings. Yeah. So we'll start with the Waratahs. Keen. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm excited. I'm keen to see the second match come up. So it was, I mean, personally, I watched the game this morning when I woke up. I'm not as hardcore as you, Rev. Congratulations on staying up for that one. Uh, what time do you get to sleep then, mate? Oh, 4.30, I think it might have been. So wow. I got, got a good three hours this morning. That, was, that um... is impressive, my friend. Yeah, I was flipping I a coin whether I waited up and watched it or or had a nap and got up or just watched it when I woke up. And from seeing the game, I think I made the right decision to go to bed. Yeah, I, I regret everything. Was... <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't France versus Australia game three. No. I'll say that much. Oh, and, and just quietly, um, is Alan Wynne-Jones some like Herculean figure? He's a Terminator. He's uh, just absolutely like he must be some mythological figure of greek olympian <laughs> myth his ability to just come back from that injury and then play a full 80 minutes and look like there was nothing wrong with him at all was yeah. just incredible he is a machine and he's worthy of squidge rugby deifying him so... and he's the first player ever to get 10 caps for the lions is he yeah that's what they were saying in the the when he was running out which is crazy when you think about it because they only play three tests every four years Wow. And he's that's got incredible. 10 caps. Good on him. Bloody good on him. And I love that, man. The best bit is, I think he's what probably the same age as Quaid, and he's joining the squad, so maybe he'll be just as good. How, <laughs> old, how old is he, actually? Alan Wynne-Jones. Yeah. He's 35, so I don't know how old Quaid. Uh, Quaid's 33, so you know, can't compare them. But, um, yeah, he's 35, and he's still kicking and doing unbelievably well. So He's still doing 80 minutes against yeah. the world champions. Against Etzebeth. Like, like, yeah wouldn't last 10 seconds against him. And held so. his own the whole way. Yeah. Well done. Did a great was a bit of a passenger, wasn't he? He didn't really do much. Yeah, he saw. fell a few tackles trying to be the enforcer. But he had a few good moments as well. I think yeah. he um, he's someone that will definitely lift that next game. He's, he's going to have a rocket under him to <laughs> usurp Atoje as man of the match status. But It'll be interesting to see what the Springboks do for this next game because it's do or die now. So yeah. pretty much just do what you can to win it. And I wonder if we will see... Something like that World Cup final from probably what was the 60th minute when they started to just run away with the game and they started to just play free-flowing rugby and not worry too much about the outcome once they knew the game was in the was in the bag at that point. So I wonder if now they just go, all right, guys, gloves off, just do what you need to do, win this game, because if you lose it, the series is over. Yep. Well, let's head on, team. Let's move into the Super Rugby chat. We're going to talk through some of the biggest names that have been signed for Super Rugby 2022, and we'll start with the best club in Super Rugby. We'll start with the Waratahs. 
and we'll go through some of the names that have come out this week. So for those that don't live in New South Wales and aren't currently in lockdown, what the Waratahs are doing is they're calling this next phase of development the reset for 2022 and they're announcing the major signings for next year, this week and next week. At this stage, they've only announced players that have already played for New South Wales at some point that are coming back. But hopefully in the next few days or next week, we'll hear some big names coming through. So I'll run through the names of players that have signed or have re-signed, and then we'll get your opinions on that. So Ned Hannigan's back. He's come home for 2022. Jed Holloway, Alex Newsom's re-signed. Mark Nawanganitawasi has re-signed. Balakai Fokheti has re-signed. We've got Tian Takapulu who's a junior Wallabies player who's come through the uh, the junior ranks and is now brought into the full Waratahs uh, team for 2022. Adrian Brown and Langy Gleeson have also been promoted to the full training squad for 2022. So, Ando, what were your thoughts around these signings and who are you most excited about? Uh, Ned Hadigan, without a shadow of a doubt. I love that man. So I'm stoked that he's back. Um, for me, I... I don't know. I'm there's a part of me that's happy that the New South Wales media team and management are acknowledging how trash they were in 2021 and are uh, acknowledging it by saying we now need to reset for 22. So it's like, okay, we were seriously bad and now we're trying to turn like it's it's a good marketing position or an advert yeah, like marketing position for them to take. I kind of um, thought they were referring to a scrum reset. <laughs> maybe it could also just be they were trash and so they're resetting from the trash um <laughs> but i i kind of like it and um i just want to see a couple so i mean there are a few players so hannigan i think is a great return holloway did you see his um interview with brit mitchell from i haven't ESPN? read it yet no but I i'll read it you, it uh, you shared fantastic. it i think on your socials so yeah 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 it's really really good um read it it gives a lot of insight into some of the difficulties he was having personally in his last year or two at the TARS and how some of the, it seems to be that some of the difficulties that he had weren't actually the organization or if it was the organization, it was compounding upon pre-existing issues with his attitude towards training and self-improvement and stuff like that. So it just adds another dimension to the Waratahs being horrific at player retention than what we had previously thought. Okay. Um, I think the retention of uh, Newsom, Nwanganitawase and Fakedi is good. Really? Um, I, yeah, genuinely I do. I think a lot of people crap all over Newsom, but he is a, so. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's I don't buy into this stuff. Like, I don't think he's fantastic, but we just don't have particularly great players. Um, and so I don't mind keeping him on for another year or two as an older head that can at least be a fill-in player for injuries if required because um, I, th- I don't think he'll be in the starting 23 or maybe he'll be on the bench as a utility back, but I don't think he's going to be in your starting side very much. Um, I hope the, th- the three players that they've brought up from the Waratahs, the broader squad, Tian, Talkipulu, Tal- Tal- uh, how do I say it? Tal- yeah, we're not, we're not too sure. Um, I'm going to have to learn how to say that one properly. We'll have to so learn Tian. that one. Um, he actually was training with the Waratahs main squad last year, but had a couple of injuries and wasn't able to take the field. Uh, Adrian Brown has been playing with Eastwood. He signed on until 2024 and Langy Gleeson that they've all been junior wallabies and he's been training with the senior squad, Langy Gleeson as well. And so they're all kind of young and up and coming players. And I don't mind that they've got onto longer term contracts with these guys, because it means that they're trying to keep some people within the system for a longer period of time. Now, we haven't addressed the major issue. Major issue is we need one really good outside back. Um, We need a couple of experienced locks to come into the frame as well. Um, As much as I like the return of Hannigan and Holloway, Hannigan is a bit of a makeshift lock. Um, he's, he's more of a six than he is a four or a five. And he's only playing four and a five out of lack of alternatives. And Holloway is really a six or an eight. Mm. Um, he's not a lock, but I'm pretty sure you're going to see both of them partnered in the locks. Uh, my, my actual thing is I'd love to see a Mocky Swinton shift across into the locking department. Uh, I I, I don't agree with that. I I think that loses his ability, his impact around the park because he, he won't be off the scrum fast enough. 
Yeah, but so we I mean, I don't know. Really, big hits. I, I just keep remembering some of the big hits he kept doing from the side off the side of the scrum, which would just shunt people away from our defenders and like over the advantage <laughs> yeah. line. Um, I'm just thinking for the weaknesses the Waratahs have, if they don't make a major signing in the lock department, it wouldn't be the worst deal in the world. But I'm, I'm okay with this. And hear me right, I don't think Newsom is an amazing player, but I also think it's completely unfair the way that people just crap all over him. Um, and seem to blame him for the woes of the Waratahs or just say that he's absolutely useless. I don't think he is. He's he's had some good moments. He's had some not great moments as well. But he's a better player than Nwangani Tawase at the moment. All right, like, Andrew, this is my, this is my uh, challenge to you. For next week, for our social media, you're going to put together a video highlights package of Newsom from 2021. Wow. And it has to go for more um, than 40 seconds. <laughs> it has to go for more than 40 seconds, Ando. Highlights. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to then also get Nwangani Tawase's defensive misreads up as well? We're not talking about Nwangani Tawase. We're talking about Yes, I am. I'm directly comparing the two and saying that if you're going to crap all over Newsom, then you have to be legitimate in other people's weaknesses as well (laughs) and not just say that Newsom is like the worst player for the Waratahs going around. So you're saying Nwangani Tawase is the worst player going around? No. My God. (laughs) One thing that I will say right, about Rev. this before I throw it to Rev and get his thoughts yeah. as an outsider is it's it seems interesting that they've re-signed the players that have left, particularly in that twenty end of was it twenty nineteen or twenty 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 Hannigan and Holloway headed overseas with Michael Hooper for this year and now they're back so quickly. But they've also only signed Fakedi Nwanganiduasi and Newsom on one year contracts, so they've locked them in for twenty twenty two only. And I do wonder if that comes in because. Um, Day, Darren Coleman isn't in New South Wales yet so he hasn't had much of a say on who they can sign and, and that kind of thing so they're not locking those players into a full term three, four year contract with the Waratahs because maybe they don't fit into Darren Coleman's plan but they'll at least re- re-sign them now so we've got some backbone of a squad to train with for when, they, when he arrives at the end of next month um, but yeah it's interesting that we haven't like a player like Fakedi or um Parisi is only signed on until the end of 2022 and not any longer, particularly not even to the 2023 World Cup, which is worrying considering they're both on Wallabies top-ups at the moment. Um, Rev, what, what are your thoughts around these players as an outsider? I think the um, the, the biggest signing to me is um, Raboni Warren Vasayako. So he got sort of announced yeah, um, yep. mid-season last year. He's someone going to be really exciting to see, um, you know, get some more game time. I, I think he's a great uh, pickup for 2022. The other players from that list, I like them, but the ones that I think are the most positive are getting the two props in Takapulu and Brown, just because I think uh, we saw that Bell and HAH are awesome, but we need more depth there. Yep. My concern, as you've mentioned, we need locks. I am concerned about the number of back rows we've signed. Like getting Hooper back is awesome, but Tizano was one of our best players this year. Obviously, Hooper's better, but you know, it's not as if we filled a hole that we had. Uh, Hannigan and Holloway, again, they're going to play a bit of lock, but... Um, their back rowers, uh, Lange Gleason, another back rower. Um, th- there's just a lot of back rowers. And as we've been saying the whole time, we need locks, we need a freak outside back. The one thing they have ticked off is centers. Uh, the start of 2021, um, we were saying on this podcast and a rugby fixation that if they can get a good lock pairing and center pairing, that's a great development for the year. Centers done tick beautiful for Katie and Parisi is something you can build around. Um, Wikes played one game. I, I don't know what happened with didn't uh, shoulder, and then yeah, and, yeah. and then Jack Wedden. He was sort of hyped up, but didn't deliver. He's still around. He's he's still around. He's still around that, next year. If he's starting though, that's a massive issue because he's yep. um uh well we're positive on here, but um he's not great. Um, so they needed they need to work around that because Hugh Sinclair again not a real lock. Sam cared pretty good, but they just. If they had signed Isaac Rodder, I would be putting money on them as Smokies. You know, they, they've got a great starting team. They could do great things, but they just need a big lock. So that, that's my concern. What was the other second rower that we got from New Zealand? Sam Caird. Sam Caird. Yes, yeah, so Jack Wetton and Sam Caird. Yes, he's he's off contract now. He doesn't seem to have been confirmed, and he's probably headed back overseas. I imagine. <laughs> now that he's been developed a little bit, he'll. <laughs> he'll play for the Highlanders or Blues and be a superstar. So yeah, yeah he's going to do the Angus Tarvau, and he'll be yeah. yeah, he'll for be the, an All Black. <laughs> he'll be son of the All Blacks at the end of next year. You've heard it here first. Uh, 
I'm not at all surprised. That's definitely going to happen. Yep. And the next big announcement that will come hopefully tomorrow or the next day is the signing of Kasamu Karevi for 2022 <laughs> for the Waratahs. You heard it here first. Uh, we don't like, okay, yeah, it would be awesome to have Samu Karevi genuinely, but we need a freaking lock. Like yeah. sign a lock. Sign <laughs> yeah, a lock, who, who are you going to sign? Who is actually available? I don't know. Get no some one. massive South African. Get like the next iteration of Jacques Podkita. We did. We did um, that two years ago. We got that um, yeah. that young LaRue Sa- Roots, LaRue Roots <laughs> and he played, I think, 20 to 30 minutes for the Waratahs, uh, the young Waratahs team, and then you didn't, didn't see him again. He was part of the Falau camp, so he got shunned. Yeah, um, went to his and, and rightfully so. Uh, was was he actually him. a part of that camp? Yeah, yeah he, he, he hung out with John Falau the whole time yeah. that they were in that squad. Oh, really? yeah. But you mentioned at the start of this, we're talking about um, some signings for the best team. So we should probably get to the, the two contracts I figured you're talking about, the Angus yeah. Scott Young yeah. and Liam Wright for the Reds. So um, Angus Scott Young and Liam Wright have signed on for another year with the Queensland Reds. So I'll ask you this outright, Rev. Is it a little bit unusual that both of these players haven't signed on for more than one year? Yeah, it, it, it's pretty disappointing that um, it's only a one-year contract. Um, not disappointing for them. Like they've got to make decisions that are the best for their career, but... They're players that I'd love to see stay in that um, Reds jersey, especially because I think they're both um, members of our best 23. Mm-hmm. I can see for Liam Wright, um, because he was out most of this year injured, maybe he didn't get the offer that he thought he wanted and he's not getting a RA top-up. So maybe he's sort of you know deciding whether maybe he can sort of push for that position uh, next season and maybe add a few more dollars to that. And unfortunately for Angus Scott Young, he had the best season of his life and he still isn't really near the Wallabies squad. So I think there is a, a bit of a thing for him where he might be like, well, I, I am getting a little bit older. I'm not looked at for these Wallabies squads or I'm not, you know, seen to be in that position. So maybe I should consider playing in Japan and getting, you know, double the salary mm-hmm. um, and, you know, maybe setting myself up a bit better for future. So it, it is a shame it's only one year. Um, but these are two guys that when I think about the Reds and I think about, you know, sort of how they play and what they strive for. These two players are pretty talismanic for that. So I'm hoping that they at least, you know, reconsider for another year afterwards and we get the full uh, World Cup cycle out of them. But, yeah, we'll wait and see. Is there some contractual things that are going on behind the scenes with Rugby Australia around retaining players long-term? Because both of the teams that we've announced, that we've been talking about in this segment right now, have only signed players for a year. And that's across two separate Super Rugby sides. So is there something going yeah. on around maybe a bargaining agreement or contractual obligations to sign players long-term outside those big stars like Taniello Tupu and Michael Hooper? I think just as soon as you get a Wallabies cap, that adds a certain percentage to what you can ask for as a player. And, you know, their managers are you know pretty hungry about this. They do treat it like a business. So they would want to make sure, you know, Fiketti's been in the French squad. So why would he sign for longer if, you know, throughout the series he gets a Wallabies cap? And then suddenly he can ask for an extra 50000 next year, or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know the exact amount, but, um, you know, he, he can top that up a little bit more because he now provides something a bit different. So, um, look, I don't love it as a spectator, but if I was one of these players and I was on that brink, um, it's probably what I'd do. I'd, I'd want to be trying to, you know, see how far I can get. And that sort of one club loyalty isn't that common anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing that, you know, money talks and, Uh, that's not something that Australia can sort of deal with at the moment. So the players do have a lot of power in this situation. They can sort of force the hand of their clubs um, to, you know, take them seriously and offer them proper contracts or they'll walk. Yeah. Especially when we're essentially becoming a feeder market for almost every other competition in the world. Uh, We just don't have the financial clout right now to be able to keep these mid-tier players who are good and we would love to keep them in Super Rugby, but then they can easily get a gig in Japan or one of the lower French teams um, and be earning maybe double the money or whatever it is. And yeah. so um, I asked Reg Roberts his thoughts on the um, one year resigning and he thought it could be lots of reasons, could be wanting to see future tournament structures, including potential private investment models. Could also be they didn't get an RA top up, so want to prove themselves as deserving of one next year before signing a new contract. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different potential things there. But I mean, looking at Angus Scott Young, he's 24. Um, and I mean, look, you don't have that long in your career and who even knows 
what injury potentials might come into play. Liam Wright's a bit younger, he's 23, 24 in November. Um, so that for them both, they are at the point of their career where if they're not going to be regular Waratah squad members, then yeah, they, they may well be working overseas. Yep. And then they've still got time to come back in two or three years after getting a bit of a payday, having a new experience whilst they're young, or and a, then come back. Year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This year. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I don't begrudge it. It's a bit like you were saying before, Rev, it's a bit concerning um, because they're both, I mean, one of them's a club captain, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, the fact that club captain hasn't signed on for an extended period of time, that is that is concerning f- from one perspective. But hey, not much. We can really say more, we can say about that unless someone gets an inside scoop on their reasoning. Yeah, that's right. And is there any other names that have been announced from any other super sides that we can throw up now? I feel like uh, there was Harry Lloyd from the Brumbies is going back to the Western Falls. Yep. Yes. Where he yep. 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 Moses Sorovi's moving down to the Rebels. I don't know if we've yep. spoken about that. Yep. So, so, so a few players are sort of on that um, fringe. I think the Western Falls are doing a great thing of pretty much what they did in 2006 when they first started, which is picking up the scraps of the um, other squads. And they're building quite a nice side because Brumbies have a lot of depth. So it makes sense to get, you know, those bench Brumbies players. They're really they're targeted, probably... the Brumbies, haven't they? Yeah. They've done the and, reverse this year of what they did last time with the Reds. And I, I really like it because I think the Brumbies are one of those teams that really picked their best side and sort of stuck with it. So if the Force were like, hey, we've got no one, um, we signed and all these old guys money. and they're breaking, yeah, <laughs> come on over and you're guaranteed, you know, 60 minutes, um, why wouldn't they? Yeah. So I'm, I know I joked about the Force before and not knowing them, but the force genuinely will be my second team this year with the likes of Ginzel and Pasatoa um, starting yeah. yep. just because I think there's such a, isn't a, such a nice mix of talent. I think if they can just get maybe one, two more signings that really excite and, you know, provide that spark to Aussie rugby, then a lot of people will be getting behind them. Yeah, for sure. I reckon that um, Kunzel will start or Pasatoa will start over Jake McIntyre. In my perfect world, they both start. Um, yeah, okay. I would put, I mean, they can both play 10 or 12. I'd probably lean Pasatoa 10, Kinzel 12, uh, Kyle yep. Godwin at 13. Yep. Um, build for the future. Um, they've got the talent. They've already got some Super Rugby minutes. And I, I don't really see the point in developing Taifu or Braki or Kahui when they can't offer anything to Australian. Mm. Oh, sorry. They can to Australian rugby, but they can't offer anything to the Wallabies. Um, so I will be a bit selfish and say that I think they could both start. Um but Rocky's, at the same time, Rocky's gone now, hasn't he? Yeah, sorry, he's gone. Um, yeah, and maybe Taifu has as well. But I think Kahu is still there. Yeah, Kahu. Yeah, Kahu is still there. Yep. Yeah, definitely. He played definitely. last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they won team, that game. I think we should just throw that out there. They won that game over the Bay of Plenty as well, which was great to see. Yeah, not that anyone would know because you couldn't body watch it. We could the well, day after. Was it twenty six twenty one or something like that? It was a twenty six nineteen. It was a it was a good win in the end because. They had plenty scored early, so I thought um, it was really promising. And just for people that are into the fantasy rugby or people that are looking for a young player to watch out for, Grayson Makara was awesome for the force, the oh, young awesome. outside centre. So okay, someone to, to look out for. Yeah. Pencil him down. 24-19 win. 24-19 the game. Oh, good. All right, guys, we've been chatting for a long time. It's been fun, but we do need to finish the pod there. So everybody, thank you for getting to this part of the pod. Um, If you have got to this point, can you please consider the fact that you are one of our top fans? And for that, we say thank you. And for that, we ask something of you. It's super simple. Can you chuck us a review? That'd be awesome. It really helps with the mythical algorithms of life. Um, So if you could, that would be fantastic. Um, Mitch, what was that achievement we had recently? What was it? Yeah, we were we entered the top ten podcasts in Australia under the rugby category, which is which great. Rugby league, hey, is great considering everything above us was rugby league. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. So thank yeah. you everyone for following us, supporting us, subscribing. It's been awesome. Tell your friends about us. Let's keep growing. Let's get in the top five. Let's get uh, a rugby union podcast in the top five in this rugby league dominated landscape. Let's do it. All right. Let's leave it there. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Bye.